Welcome to Tradecraft. International trade makes headlines, especially when disputes arise among countries. Business is on the front lines of these disputes, but they are waged over politics and law. Join host Colin Janik in conversation with trade expert and Georgetown University professor Mark Bush as Tradecraft takes an in-depth look at trade issues making headlines today and the ones that will be making headlines tomorrow. This is Tradecraft. Mark, welcome back. Hey, Colin, how you doing? I'm well. Excited to kick off the new year with this discussion, which happens to be something of a milestone for us. Hard to believe that this is episode 50. We made it to episode 50. Yeah. The little podcast that could. Did you think we'd get here? No. <laughs> well, because of that admission, I'll let you handle the intro today. So set the scene for our discussion, if you would. Imagine a trade tension that's repeated 27 times over 11 years. Imagine, moreover, that 10 countries are on one side and five on the other. And all of this is happening through no formal litigation at all. What am I describing? I'm describing the story of specific trade concern number 332. Okay, that was sufficiently captivating. This is the case of the draft technical regulation on alcohol drink safety imposed by the Eurasian Economic Union as regulation 047-2018 currently in draft form. And Mark, for those of us who are not actively monitoring the Eurasian Economic Union, remind us of its member countries. It includes Russia, Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan. Great. So why this case for episode 50? Why mark the occasion with specific trade concern number 332? That's easy. It's got everything that for the past 49 episodes we have loved about international trade. There's intellectual property. There's counterfeit goods. There's really complicated labels. There's even more complicated science. There are a variety of international institutions. There are preferential trade agreements. There's draft legislation that ultimately proves to be a moving target. And best of all, there's Article 2.2 of the Technical Barriers to Trade Agreement. And yet, the icing on the cake is that this case is about alcohol. And it shows why alcohol is even bigger than alcohol itself. But it does one other thing. It demonstrates the informal side of the WTO. What do you mean by that? This is all about the workings of committee. And the committee in this case is the Committee on Technical Barriers to Trade. We've had many occasions over the past 49 episodes to discuss the TBT committee. But if ever there was a case that demonstrates the veracity of the mechanism, i.e. the committee itself, this is it. But it may not come across right away as being a slam dunk story. Well, let's help the story by going back to the beginning and taking a look at where this case comes from. Russia joins the WTO on August 22, 2012. In December of that same year, it makes its first ever TBT notification. This one on the safety of wheeled vehicles. 
But the second notification is on alcohol product safety, i.e. this case. Now, back then, the idea was that this technical regulation would go live in March of 2013. Let me just say, it has yet to go live. In fact, it's now been bumped back to January 1st, 2022. And therein lies the efficacy of work in committee. Now, this effort has been a long time in coming. And the draft, depending on which translation you get, is 85 pages long, 26 pages of definitions, and about half the document simply on tables corresponding to different alcoholic beverages and tolerances permissible, scientifically speaking, by those drinks. Right. And this draft was supposed to go into force on January 9th, just a few weeks ago. And it had a transition period through 2024. But now it won't go into force until January 1st, 2022. So we know about Russia's involvement and the inclusion of the Eurasian Economic Union. Which other countries are tied to this case? On the complaining side, you have a really interesting coalition of countries. Argentina, Australia, the European Union, Guatemala, Mexico, New Zealand, South Africa, Ukraine, and the United States. Yeah, interesting indeed. Now, keeping in mind that Russia joins the WTO in August of 2012, it's interesting to note that prior to them actually becoming a WTO member, this was already being raised in the TBT committee. June of 2012 is the first time this case comes up. October 2020 is the last time this case has come up. In total, this STC has appeared 27 times on the docket. In fact, with the exception of 2012, which is interesting because the first STC goes forward before Russia formally joins, this STC has the distinction of having been raised in all three annual meetings of the TBT committee ever since 2013 and twice in 2012. Yeah, that's remarkable. With the one-year delay now widely anticipated, you can bet that there will be three more occurrences of this STC, meaning that this STC will have appeared 30 times by the date on which it is ultimately rolled out. The STC, since the beginning, has used certain key terms. And they're the stuff of trying to handle legislation in motion. There are questions of clarification. There are questions of international standards. There are questions of the legitimacy of certain aspects of the legislation given science, given time to adopt, given the transparency to date of the regime. And moreover, the big one, is this an unnecessary barrier to international trade? So give us a sense of what Russia and the Eurasian Economic Union countries are up to. Why was this raised in the first place? In order to understand what Russia and its compatriots are up to, you have to understand that alcohol is handled very differently in the different member states. For example, in Russia, there is a health warning that says excessive alcohol consumption is harmful to your health. If that sounds like something we talked about in the context of Thailand, 
and Turkey, way back when we did our episode on alcohol in the first place, you're right. But Uzbekistan's label is different. It says alcohol abuse leads to severe diseases of internal organs and nervous systems. Turkmenistan simply says alcohol is harmful to your health. There are other differences. Alcohol is listed as contraindicated for people below 18 in Russia, but for Kazakhstan, it's 21. Kazakhstan is interesting for another reason. It insists on health warnings on all alcohol except beer. All of these differences have led to this moment where we get the debut of the draft legislation on this technical barrier. Sure. When this case first got raised as an STC in 2012, there was real emphasis on helping Russia figure out the complexity of technical regulations. The U.S. and its National Trade Estimates report boasts that it has been working diligently with Russia to help them understand the requirements of notification, the requirements of sharing drafts before the penultimate draft, and trying to update legislation in light of useful input. And what impact, if any, did that work have? The first talks in 2012 definitely led to some positive changes. The United States claims in its National Trade Estimates report that positive steps were taken on things like the size of the warning, never mind the content of the warning. There's the expiration date issue. The United States, for example, objected, along with Europe, to the requirement that an expiration date be listed on the label, the complaint being that for a drink with alcohol by volume greater than 10%, there is no expiration. Therefore, it wasn't a necessary requirement because it fulfilled no legitimate purpose. But you already get the sense back in 2012 that there are beginning to be a number of no response items. Sure. What, what else is in play? There's another issue which is still in the draft in 2020. Namely, whiskey is being defined as minimum three years maturation. Now, the United States doesn't like this because as we've discussed in the past, straight whiskey can be two years matured, not three years. But it seems that the legislation is following along with Europe. And there you get one of the more interesting challenges facing the coalition. Europe's not going to dispute three years maturation, but the United States since 2013 has been disputing the three years minimum maturation. Right. And Europe's got its own problems with all this. Europe points out that Russia is a member of the International Organization of Vine and Wine. And it would like Russia to adhere to some of the guidelines that that international body has on things such as labeling sparkling wine. And from the beginning, the United States and the European Union have been quick to point out to Russia that codex guidelines on things like date markings and storage conditions are set out that Russia and its compatriots don't have to reinvent the wheel. But the United States also feels that there are chemical requirements that are more stringently maintained in this legislation than would be true even in the EU. Mark, you mentioned Mexico and New Zealand as complainants. How do they factor into this? Go back to 2012. Mexico wants to know, will these countries respect the geographical indication on tequila and mezcal? 
New Zealand comes along and says, what about wine produced with concentrated must or rectified concentrated must? And the big question for the European Union is, how will the deal handle champagne and cognac? Now, cognac is in its own right a mini case study. Expound on that if you would. Cognac is not protected in Russia as a geographical indication, inasmuch as you are allowed to say something like Armenian cognac, Russian cognac. And in fact, when you read through the draft legislation, there is mention of Russian cognac, Kazakhstani cognac, and Belarusian cognac. Europe is clearly dismayed by this. Champagne is another. Now, there are statements all over the document that would lead one to expect that so long as that cognac is spelled with a little c, there's lots of opportunity for other countries to use it on their label. That presents really interesting challenges, not least as more of these member countries become members of the WTO. Now, Europe must surely be a little baffled by all of this because on the one hand, Russian investment in cognac producers is at record highs. There's an awful lot of Russian money out there being pumped into cognac producers. Moreover, the Moscow Times in 2018 reported that one third of all cognac sold in Russia is fake. Yikes. That's a really big deal. And you would have imagined that by virtue of their investment in French producers and their concern for fake product, that Russia, among others, would really clamp down on the abuse of the geographical indication. Well, not yet. But the plot thickens. If anything, it looks like Russia wants to roll back some of these geographical indication protections. How so? If you read the text, it appears as though in order to claim the geographical indication, the bottling has to be done in that region as well. That is not a requirement elsewhere. And that does pose a substantial burden to those producers who might be sending their product to be bottled somewhere in the country, but not necessarily in the region. Go to 2016. Now you begin to see a very different tone to this case. Europe is asking, when is this document going to be notified? Yeah, understandably so. You've got Spirits Europe pointing out that it's a shame that the WTO doesn't require that the final document be notified, even if drafts are. And everybody's asking, where is the final draft? But Europe has a more axiomatic question. What are you doing with our input? What are you doing to respond to our concerns? Now, in the 2016 STC, Russia's response is, quote, all concerns had been taken into account. Well, apparently not, because Europe is back at it each and every year. In fact, in 2019, the EU is once again asking, where is the notification? What have you done with our input? And what are you actually taking account of? And what was Russia's response? This is also interesting because we're seeing this in terms of a lot of the language being used in TBT committee. Russia comes back and says, well, you know, the alcohol content and storage is needed to help consumers not only stay safe, but to help, quote, adult consumers make informed choices. That's an interesting spin 
on a very old story. Then you get the big shoe dropping. Russia says codex is not sufficient or clear enough for alcohol. We're seeing this more and more. Questions about whether a codex standard was adopted unanimously or shy of unanimity. These things are beginning to make the waters around TBT very muddy. Sure. Let me end with the big one, though. Least trade restrictive. That's the language that Spirits Europe uses in its write-up on what's happening. Least trade restrictive. In other words, is this draft regulation the least trade restrictive? Now, think about what we've covered. You've got virtually every concern imaginable being voiced about alcoholic products. All alcoholic products are covered, and it's not just what is the product, it's how do you store the product? How do you transport the product? How do you label the product? We had discussed in that episode, all those episodes ago, that Thailand was really out in front, leading the way on health warnings. This is actually a really interesting effort because it's so much more than a health warning. It does that too. It decides how the health warning is framed on the back of a label. Is it given prominence or is it merged into the back of some other image as has been true in the past in say the case of Russian alcoholic distribution. But fundamentally what this case goes to is the sheer complexity of international trade, especially when what you are trying to deal with is not always fully notified and is itself a work in progress. That's a big deal and that's not a tariff. Right, you haven't mentioned tariffs a single time this entire discussion. This is not a tariff case. This is one of the most complicated TBTs because you have so much underlying science you have real legitimate questions about what is legitimate. And you have this one big argument looming in the background, which is have the countries in question penned the least trade restrictive means of achieving their legitimate objective, assuming it is legitimate to begin with. So what the draft legislation is trying to do is manage the differences that have existed across the countries in question. As Russia and its neighbors get closer together, how much will they do to facilitate a single market with respect to alcohol safety? How will they handle its transportation, its storage, the label, everything pertaining to how you get alcoholic beverages to market across all five countries? I mean, this is a monumental collective task, but I'm particularly struck by how complicated this must have been for Russia early on. It debuted in the WTO August 2012, as you mentioned, and by December of that same year, it's making its first ever TBT notification. It is laying bare its legislation in draft form. There's nothing easy about that. It's then being told, not least with the coaxing of the United States, that it will continue to spin out drafts of its legislation as time goes on. Its second notification is alcohol product safety. Now, that was a really unreasonable timeline given all the new requirements of the WTO. To come online and explain its draft in 2012 with the expectation that it was going live March 2013 is heroic at best. But the fact that the legislation is still not live goes to the point that the WTO has done yeoman's work here. You've had a forum in which 10 countries have quizzed 
five countries on what they're doing through legislation at different iterations of drafting. And that's pretty impressive. There aren't wins across the board, but there are some notable wins, and you get this sense from the trade associations, both in the United States and in the European Union, touting that whatever it looks like today, it looks better than it did back in 2012, and more might be had in terms of negotiated solutions, not least with the help of the international institutions that also bear on these issues. Mark, this still hasn't come into force, though. What would you say to those who might conclude that this is not a win for committee work? Instead, it represents 11 years of futility and market uncertainty. Russia has become a much bigger market than it ever was prior to its joining the WTO. You knew expectations were high. The Scotch Whiskey Association celebrated Russia's membership in 2012. Moreover, I should note that for whatever some of these issues sound like in terms of difficult obstacles to overcome, Russia does not figure prominently on troubled priority markets for any of the trade associations that I surveyed for the sake of doing this episode. That said, you've got some really interesting challenges here, and that's really the point that market access has grown phenomenally in Russia and its compatriot countries, but more can be done. And this is not just alcohol. You've got to understand that what is being debated here could easily be on anything that comes with a label. And that's why in this context, the draft technical regulation on alcohol drink safety is everything. It is everything that a democracy has to legislate about. And all of a sudden, by virtue of trade agreements, entertain foreign input in trying to ensure that its efforts are the least trade restrictive possible, assuming it wants to listen. And that's why this is really an interesting case. It seems like SDC 332 is a classic glass half empty or glass half full kind of case. I see it as half full. There have been some wins over the past 11 years for the 10 countries posing questions. And clearly, the fact that the legislation has not gone into effect bears out some influence being had at the WTO in the TBT committee by the rest of the world. That is interesting in the sense that here you have a new democracy that is learning the ropes of one of the most complicated issue areas in trade and has certainly been hard-pressed, along with members who aren't yet in the WTO, to micromanage 85 pages of text in a way that won't get them into trouble with a whole bunch of other countries looking to take this one up. And just the fact that the dates are so interesting, that the first STC goes forward in the TBT committee before Russia's a member of the WTO, formally speaking, says a lot. Mark, if you had to capture the essence of this case, describe what it means for trade, what would you say? The point to Specific trade concern 332 is that it, in microcosm, is everything that makes international trade so much more complicated than is generally thought. It is what makes it so much more interesting 
than is generally thought. And it shows what our negotiators and our litigators are up against in terms of trying to keep market access open. It's a remarkable confluence of legislation, science, politics, economics, and law, and that has always been the motivation for Tradecraft. We've tried to give 50 episodes of interesting accounts, and we've let the real cases speak for themselves, because at the end of the day, nothing is more interesting than the reality of what some of these cases are being built on and being fought over. Absolutely. Tradecraft is not the easiest podcast to listen to. It is, as my dean describes it, a wonk cast. He is right about that. It has high entry barriers, but only because the most interesting stuff is quite complex. And it gives a taste of a complicated global economy that nonetheless is trying to become less complicated through rules. And that has always been what has inspired each and every episode from one or another angle. Colin, you're the one who created this podcast, this wonk cast, and I hope that it's delivered on some of what you had in mind when you set out to find a way for us to get these stories out there and to give people something to listen to a little bit as entertainment, a little bit as food for thought to raise at dinner parties, and for that matter, a little bit of industry insight, as well as government thought on best practices across cases as varied as lobsters, wine and whiskey, and all the way on through to Boeing Airbus. I'm just delighted that this case by virtue of the sheer number of countries involved in duration is at least in the vicinity of Boeing Airbus as an icon, and yet this case has yet to be filed. Well, Mark, it's been a treat to talk trade with you over these past two years. I hope our listeners continue to enjoy your insights as much as I do and continue to see global trade and the trading system in a whole new light through these episodes. But before we conclude, I'd just like to thank the rest of the Tradecraft team they are the ones who make this series run. Francisco Campos-Ortiz is our executive producer. Syed Hamza Monyudin is our assistant producer. George Lewinson and William Harrison Hurt are our invaluable research associates. And our senior advisors are Katie Lott Graninello and Erica Sayers. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. That'll help us reach a wider audience. And follow us on Twitter at Tradecraft underscore pod. That's Tradecraft underscore P-O-D. Thank you so much.